Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. I get excited just kind of watching that intro video. I'm like, man, this is like, I just get pumped, right? Because it's the cross, and it is, it is the, the central figure of our faith, right? And, and over these last few weeks, we started talking two weeks ago through the seven phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross, the recorded phrases that we have in Scripture of what Jesus shared while hanging on the cross. Now, I do want to throw this out there. Next Sunday... We have a special treat. My father is coming to preach. Uh, and if you were here back in January when he spoke, and I referenced this last week, that that has been the most shared message that we've had since being here. It's really great and really makes me feel good about myself. Uh, that uh, It's okay. It's a good thing. It's really good. It's so he will be here next week. And he was really pleased because I told him, I said, hey, dad, we're working through the seven phrases from the cross. Do you mind if I give you the text to preach from? He's like, I love it. Come on, send it to me. I'll, I'll study it up. We'll preach it. It'd be good. And I said, great. You get, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's like, oh, thanks. Really, really appreciate that, that I get to preach that one. And, and I was like, well, it's just kind of where it fell. Sorry. Uh, God bless you and have fun, right? So that is next week. You don't want to miss next week. I, I just say that sincerely. You don't want to miss my dad. It's just years and years and years of study and insight. Yeah, I, he, he just, it's just really, really neat what he could, finds and pulls out of the word of God. It's just incredible insight and incredible mind with the word. So uh, be here next week. Don't miss that. So two weeks ago, we started this series and we talked about the, the idea of forgiveness and, and Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and he, we talked about how forgiveness was for all people. That forgiveness isn't withheld from anyone, even those who were there hanging him on the cross in that moment. And we talked about in our world of sin and the sin that we live in, we don't understand fully how sinful sin is. And we talked about how God hates sin. And because of the sin in this world, because of sin in our lives, that he had to create a way for our forgiveness. So he sent his son and Jesus then prays, fulfilling prophecy found in Isaiah, Father, forgive them, where he prays for all and prays for forgiveness so that when we go to the Father, forgiveness is waiting for us, right? When we return to him or return to him, he has forgiveness waiting for us. And then last week we talked about salvation and how Jesus said to the criminal hanging on the cross next to him, he says, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. And that speaks to the idea of salvation, that, that not only do we have forgiveness, but then our, our, our souls are then saved, that we will be with Christ in eternity in paradise. And we talked to the word paradise and, and that it's this, this really cool word meaning garden, but it would be like God's garden. And essentially it would be this walled garden that only the righteous could enter, right? It's kind of this whole neat idea and concept of the garden. And we find that it, it's similar, you know, it's found in similar wording with what we find in the garden of Eden and all this different stuff. So it's really, really cool when he's talking about being in paradise paradise with Jesus, right? And he's saying, today you will be with me in paradise. See, we talked about salvation. And then we have today's text. So these last few weeks, we've been in the book of Luke, and today we're switching to the book of John. And so before we really get started, I think that there has to be uh, some, some understanding about John, 
and about the gospel of John. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the three synoptic gospels. So what that means is that these three books are essentially similar, right? These three books, the synoptics, they tell similar stories. Uh, they, they, tell, they tell different, you know, kind of their take on, on, the, on the crucifixion and resurrection, but it is from a similar perspective. Uh, you even find similar sermons and even parables throughout those three gospels. And, and you find a lot of overlap in different things. And so you can compare different stories from different scriptures within the synoptics. And then you have John, John is a unique character. John is his own person. John is like the artsy hipster of the day, right? He's like this bohemian rapper that's got his own flair and feel to things. John is his own person. He is not trying to be like everybody else. He's like, no, man, I'm doing my own thing. Forget this. Yeah, stick it to the man or whatever. I don't know. John had his own way, his own personality and his own style about how he wrote his gospel. And so we have to take that into account as we look through this and understand the word. John loved the use of imagery. And so again, very artsy in how he writes things. And, and as I was prepping for this and I was hitting a wall with this one because I was going, what in the world? So I actually called a professor friend of mine and I was like, Dr. Terrence, I need some help. And he was like, have you ever preached this before? And I was like, no. And I don't know that I've ever heard it preached before. Like this is, we'll get to it in a moment. And he was going, you have to understand John is a different person altogether. And understanding that John uses a lot of imagery and that his words sometimes you have to kind of dig into to figure out what is he trying to say and understand that John is trying to create an overarching theme throughout his entire gospel. Throughout his entire book, he has a a goal that he's working towards. He's got an end result that he's trying to obtain. So it's one of the things that you find in the other gospels compared to John is in things that they make, uh, um, they may imply in the synoptics that John makes explicit within his words. So it's like, this, there's kind of an implied idea over here. John is like, no, this is it. Like, this is the idea, right? And, and he pushes those things forward. And so as we look through the text today, we have to understand that there is, is, is differences between the synoptic gospels in the book of John. John is basically broken into two parts. You have the first half of the book of John where it is all about promoting and selling the deity of Christ, right? So it's about his works and and, and miracles and things that he did. And then you have the second half of the book, which is all about his, his, his death, burial, and resurrection, right? And it starts actually with kind of the Last Supper. And he spends more time on the Last Supper than any of the other gospels, And we see it in a different light. There's actually, in John's account of the Last Supper, there's no reference to the wine or the bread, but there's a reference to Jesus washing the feet. And it's this whole different take on who Jesus is and the personality of Jesus and the persona that he he carries, right? So we see the flip. And the thing about John is he works in sevens. John likes to work in sevens. It's kind of a funny thing that you'll find out about John, I guess. And so he has seven different miracles listed. He starts with turning water into wine, and then he ends with the resurrection. And all through there is this theme that flows and that builds into this idea of what we're going to cover today and what we're going to talk about and what he's really pushing and implying. So the first half is usually referred to as the book of signs because it has all these miracles building up to the final sign, which is in the second half of the book, which is called the book of glory, is how they kind of refer to it in the two halves. And so the final miracle is in the book of glory because it is revealing the glory of God in all of his, his majesty through his resurrection, right? As he solidifies the deity. 
And so we have two different parts of this book all building into this, this major theme. So in the major theme in the synoptics would be the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so you hear the, the, the stories as they reference Jesus telling and preaching. He talks about the kingdom. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, right? And so we find that heavy in the synoptics and we don't find that so much in the book of John. What we find in John are children of God, the family of God. We find this sense of community and family that John is trying to preach and trying to push and trying to make his overarching theme through the book of John is this idea of family. And this brings us to the big idea for today, and that is this, that Jesus died so we could be part of the new family. Jesus died so we could be part of the new family. I know we haven't even gotten to the text yet for today, but, but this, a lot of this is, is, is groundwork to make sure that we know what we need to do and where we're going. The text today is this. It's going to be John 19, 25 through 27. John 19, 25 through 27. This is near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Time out. Mary was a popular name. I'm just going to throw that out there. And it can be quite confusing to try to keep up with all the Marys because we also know Jesus' mother was named Mary. And it's like, y'all need to get a little creative, all right? You can't keep people straight. You go to like first grade and be like, well, I've got 17 Marys and three boys. Like, right? You're just kind of like, does everybody just name Mary? Okay, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which would be John, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And you go, what does that have to do with me today? We're gonna get there. Again, Jesus died so we could be part of the new family. So John is trying to fulfill this ultimate theme of, of, of community and a family. And what we see here is this, this connection where Jesus is now looking to his mother and looking to, to the disciple he loved, who we could say his best friend, and saying, you two are now family, right? We see this uniting. So today, let's talk through this. But we, to do so, I think we need to kind of break down some of the elements of what we find in this text to have a greater understanding. And we will build to the final understanding of what we're trying to comp- accomplish today. The first thing is this, the beloved disciple, the other gospels, uh, there's, there's no mention of the beloved disciple being at the cross, right? But we have John here writing his uh, recollection of the crucifixion of the time, and he has himself there at the cross. And he has this, this interaction with Jesus where he's standing next to Jesus' mother, and he says, woman, here's your son, and he says, here is your mother. And, and we have this, this uniting taking place. So we have the beloved disciple. How many of you have a best friend that loves letting people know that you're best friends? Right, where it's that kind of like, yes, we're best friends. It happened when we were five and I can't get rid of them, right? It's one of those kind of deals, you know what I'm saying? You just like, man, I've always, now I'll tell you, there are certain people in this world that if I was best friends with, I promise you, I would let everybody in the world know that we were best friends to the point of, of being quite annoying and obnoxious. And they'd have to be like, hey, you just need to play it a little, a little cooler, right? I know we grew up together. Like, our, you know, our moms are friends and we have no choice in the matter, right, in this deal now. But could you just chill it out? Like if Jordan Spieth and I were friends, and if you have to know this about me, I am a huge golf fan. And the fact that he's from the Dallas area makes me be like, yeah, we should be friends. Really. If you think about it, we should be friends, but we're not yet. And so, 
he won't return my calls anymore, whatever. Okay, I don't have his phone number, so therefore I've not called him. If I had it, I would be calling him. You know, but if Jordan Spieth and I were best friends, I promise you every week in every message, I'd be like, so Jordan and I were talking this week, right? You would hear it all the time. It would be this thing. And so what we, what we see here is this disciple who is known as the beloved disciple, and what I find is so great about this is that this disciple is John. We find that at the book, at the end of the book of John, he's saying, you know, essentially, I'm the beloved disciple. I, John, am the beloved disciple. And I'm like, I love that you just wrote yourself in there as, and me, the beloved. Did you catch that, Peter? <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like circulating. Hey, everybody, read this, read this. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. I knew I'd find it in here, the beloved disciple. You wouldn't let us live it down, right? And so here we have this, this like best friend person who is just so uh, clinging to Jesus as the beloved, right? And so he is there naturally at the foot of the cross. It's not this far-fetched idea to think that he would be there in his best friend's final moments. I think if, if my best friend were to be hanging on to life, I, I don't think that I would try to miss that moment, Right? I think that would be a moment I would try to be there for. I would do everything I could to make sure I was at his bedside or near him in that moment. And that's what we find here is this beloved disciple. The first time he's referenced as, as the beloved disciple is actually at the Last Supper. And we find it in John 13, 23. And it says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And what we see is just this incredibly, incredibly relaxed posture as they hang around the table. Now, in, in that time period, there wasn't a table with chairs that we would sit at and, and, and sit up nice and, and try to keep our elbows off the tables and whatnot and use the right utensils and stuff. No, it would be very much a lounging kind of experience. The table would be really low. They'd be sitting on pillows, laying around the table, so to speak. So the fact that, that it says John is reclining next to you or even possibly leaning against Jesus would be very natural posture in, in, a, in a close-knit group around the table. And so what we find here is that John is, is sitting here leaning on Jesus, reclining next to him, just, just revealing and showing the, the nature of their relationship. There's this deep, deep, incredible closeness that the two of them have with each other. So John is like, I want to be as close to you as I can be. And Jesus, in return, is, is saying he's his beloved disciple. I almost, see, when we find in the book of John, I, I kind of look at it as this is his first person perspective, you know, of his relationship with Jesus and the walk with Jesus as we read this. And I almost wonder if it's as if to say, you could place yourself in my shoes and walk this story out. I wonder how many of the other disciples, when, when reading these words, go, well, I thought I was his beloved disciple. I almost wonder if it was just kind of this relationship that Jesus was able to maintain with the other disciples to say, hey, look at this relationship that I have with John You're, or whatever. You know, they say it in those ways and they go, but we all have the same relationship. Only John is, John is the only one maybe uh, naive enough to think that only he has this relationship with Jesus. I don't know that. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm adding to this in a sense, but, but I almost feel as if John is saying, look at, at, at how, how I lived with Jesus. This is the same relationship he wants with you is this closeness so that he and you in turn feel like he thinks of you as his beloved disciple, right? And so we see this. And, and so we see John essentially saying, you can place yourself in my shoes throughout this story as I walk through this and see the relationship that I had with Jesus to where I'm reclining next to Jesus. I'm leaning back on him. How many of you know that there are hard times in our lives when we have the ability to lean back on Jesus? You go, can I just rest on you for a minute? 
Can I just rest on you for a minute? And Jesus is going, please, come and rest, come and rest. And here at the Last Supper, as we see as they're building towards this moment at the cross, as, as we are literally in the final hours, you know, to 48 hours of the life of Jesus, we find him here reclining on Jesus with the storm yet ahead. And when he uses the word beloved, it's actually... Uh, comes from the Greek root word of agape. And we all have heard the word agape probably, which is the Greek term for unconditional love. And, 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 and so the word for, for the beloved is, is uh, agapeo, which is to cherish, to have affection for, to love, right? To have affection for, to love. And, and what we see is that John is saying, I feel this affection from Jesus. I feel as if Jesus cherishes me. And this is the relationship that we see that, that he has with Christ, with the, with the Son of God. And he's saying, I have this relationship with you. I feel so close to you. I feel so near you. I feel so, 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 so intimately in, related to you, right? With this deep, cherishing love that he feels from Jesus. So in this moment, reclining at the table is the first time we hear of him being called the beloved disciple. And then it continues on even after the point of the cross. But at the cross, there he is again in the moment when Jesus needs him most as a best friend in his mind, right? He's going to be near him at the foot of the cross. Like any best friend, he wanted to be near him in the significant moments. And we find him standing next to Mary, Jesus's mother. And the second thing we'll talk about is Jesus's mother. Now, I love my mom. And I hope that you love your mother as well. And it, but I know that, that my mom and I, we've had this, this great relationship. There's only been one time in my life that I can recall ever being just blatantly disrespectful to my mother because I had a, a healthy fear of my father, right? Uh, and so I knew good and well not to say things that I shouldn't or to step out of bounds. But I felt big at one moment. I was about 19 years old at this time. And I learned very quickly, it doesn't matter how old I am, I am still my mother's son. And uh, I quickly regretted my decision and my actions. And we were on the phone and I had been... I had been in a wreck and, and I was actually at the place where they're doing the appraisal for the insurance and all this kind of stuff. And I don't even remember what the argument was about in this moment, but my mother said something to me and I said to her, whatever, and hung up. I know, right? Like, I know, I know. As the air leaves the room, like, you did not do that. Like, I did. I was young and dumb, right? And immediately my phone's ringing again and I'm like, oh, mom's calling. I answered. She said, did you just hang up on me? And I was like, uh, yes. You know, like as, you know, quietly and as like shameful as I could possibly respond in that moment. I remember thinking, uh-oh, I just messed up. And Jesus loved his mother, right? And there's, there's controversy of was he disrespectful to his mother or was he not? And we'll get to some of that in a minute. But what we find in the book of John is as if in all the synoptic gospels, it starts with, right, this story of the birth of Jesus, right? And we go through the whole Christmas story and, and they go on the donkey. The angel appears to Mary. You're going to have a baby. And she's like, how can this be? And she's, he's like, well, God, that's how. Come on, you know, keep up, right, or whatever. It's not what he said verbatim, but it's close. Right? And so we have this whole story and all these other gospels. We go to the book of John and John's like, nah, forget all of that. 
We're jumping straight into theology and doctrine. In the beginning was the word, right? And, and the word was with God and the word was God. And he's like, just jumping straight in, boom. So we get, that's chapter one. And we go through this whole deal. We get to chapter two and all of a sudden, oh, Jesus is a, a full adult. And we're about to jump straight into the start of his ministry. And so here's what we find. This is the first mention of Mary, of Jesus' mother in in the book of, of John, and he says this in, and I've got to find, there we go. In John chapter two, one through five, it says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So most likely it's a family friend or, or a family member, very, very close. That's why Jesus is invited and they bring his disciples as well because it would be customary. Verse three, it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus responds, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And this is what I love that his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like she just completely just disregarded what he said. And she's like, I'm still mom. Thanks. Go do what he says. Right. And we know the story and we know what happens. And it's so there's a couple of things that we need to talk about just because this is, this is a similar wording that we find also at the cross. So this all connects together. So hear me as we walk through this, but there's a couple of things that we need to notice is, is that even though, first of all, that Jesus was like, it's not yet my time. Mama still won, right? Mama was still like, hmm, I don't even care. I'm mama. So she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? So we have that, that whole deal. But a lot of times we look at that and we go, man, Jesus has straight up told his mom, woman, it is not yet my time. Why are you involving me? First of all, I dare any one of you to try that with your mom and tell me how that works out. And I see a lot of heads shaking. Nope, it ain't evident. Yeah, don't do that. Really, that's a joke. Don't, don't do that. He'd be like, well, my pastor said I should. No, no, he didn't. No, he did not. No, he did not. Let it be stated in the recording. I was joking for anybody that comes back to listen to this. Okay, uh, you know what I mean? So we, we find that that wouldn't work out well, but here's what we need to look at is the word woman. See, the word that's used there in the Greek, that, that would be a customary, normal greeting in a word used for woman, obviously, but it would also be just kind of like the similar use of ma'am that we find today. So essentially, Jesus is a Southern gentleman and he's talking to his mother and he's saying, ma'am, why do you involve me? It's not yet my time. Here's the, the, the difference in this, in this statement is that yes, is a lot of times this could be a word used for mother, but there would have to be a qualifying adjective for this term. And we don't have that here. We don't have a qualifying adjective stating that, yes, this is a term used for woman, but it is meant to mean mother. It's not being used in that sense. He is in fact saying, woman as in, ma'am, why do you involve me? It's not yet my time. And what we find is this, is that it's the same word used at the cross. When Jesus says, woman, behold your son, it's the same word that is being used at the cross. What we, what, what we come to the conclusion is this, is that Jesus is not trying to remove himself from his mother, but he is trying to attach himself to his father. He's saying, understand, yes, you are my earthly mother. You did give birth to me, but I am the son of God. And so it's not a sense of saying, I want nothing to do with you, but it's a sense of saying, my attachment is to the father who sent me. And again, this all goes back to the overarching theme and idea through the book of John, a family and the family of heaven, the family of God. And he's tying it all back together, even there at the cross. And he's saying to, to his mother, he's saying, hear me when I say woman, I'm not saying I deny you I, because we know that Jesus loves and cares for his mother. We find that at the foot of the cross that even while he is dying, he is making sure she is cared for, right? But what we see here is he's saying, I need to make sure that I'm attached to and associated with my father in heaven. 
So it's, it's a whole thought-changing idea when we understand that, that it's not just about this word of being like, it is not yet my time, know your place, woman. It's not like that in the least bit. It's just simply to say, ma'am, please understand, I need to be connected to my father, and it is not yet time for me. And she said, yes, it is time for you. It is time to go out and do as you should do to be the, the Messiah that you're called to be, right? And she's like, you're starting your ministry today, go. And that's where we see the start of this. And so the, 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 the crazy role that Mary plays in the start, you know, as a mother going, it's time to go. It's time to do your thing. And Jesus going, but, but it's not my time. And he's saying, I, I'm, you know, it's this whole kind of this pull and this back and forth that we see a little bit here as it builds to the moment on the cross. So Jesus isn't being disrespectful. In fact, he's trying to be respectful to his father in heaven, our heavenly father. And he's showing this connection. Now going back to the cross. The wording that Jesus uses at the cross is, 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 is incredibly significant in understanding historically and, 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 and the wording that was being used to to, to create this statement. We'll start at verse 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What we see is that he's speaking in a language that would be as if he was making a legal statement. This is almost as if he's, he's using legal jargon of the day, right? To basically solidify and state this is almost like an adoption hearing or ceremony taking place. Lauren and I have had the privilege of going to an adoption hearing of, of two beautiful little babies that we, we had the privilege of, of fostering for a while. It was an incredible moment. And I remember standing there and just kind of listening and hearing what the judge was saying in the communication with the, uh, the lawyer slash adopting father of these children and, and hearing them go back and forth. And it was very much just, for lack of a better term, legal jargon. A lot of it was stuff that I was going, I don't know what that means. Hopefully it's in the best interest of the children. And it was, I knew fully, full and well that it was. But, but just a lot of things that were being stated back and forth. And, and the words were very intentional in how they were being used because they know that what is happening is a legally binding agreement that has taken place for them to say, we are going to fully take care of these children. We're gonna raise them as our own. We're gonna care for them as if they were our own, right? We're gonna love them as if they were our own. And, and, and we're seeing all of that take place in, in, in the courtroom. Lauren and I are standing there. And, and there's a couple of things that I picked up on and that I noticed is that there are, are questions that are asked by the judge that your response is, in fact, if you want to go through this, yes, right? You have to say yes to these certain things. Do you agree to da 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 And they would have to say, yes, we do agree to do da 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 right? And just kind of playing this whole thing out. And we're seeing this. And what, we're, what we find now here at the foot of the cross is that Jesus is using legal uh, you know, jargon of the day, using legal language of the day to state, that this is not just me saying, hey, y'all should, you should take care of my mom now. No, this is saying, I am making this statement as kind of the breadwinner of the family at this time because what we know or believe at this time is that Mary has been widowed for some time. Jesus being the oldest son would have been her caretaker. 
He would have been the one taking care of his mother or possibly the breadwinner for the family and for the home. And, and so, so Jesus is now saying, I'm going to make provision for my mother. So we find that, again, back to the idea that he's not trying to disrespect his mother. He dearly loves his mother. He wants to know that she's cared for. And so we see this uniting of, of, of somebody who is not a part of the family being united to the family, right? And we see this connection taking place, which brings me to the next thing, the children of God. The children of God. John starts with this idea of the children of God at the very beginning of the book of John. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The whole imagery that John's trying to create of the kingdom of God is this family of God this community of, of believers together. This whole idea is family. It's, it's centered around the fact that, that we are united and we are brought in. So from the beginning, the gospel of John has employed the metaphor of kinship to, to characterize the believer's new relationship to God. Those who respond to the revelation in Jesus, those who are called and drawn by the Father and believe in Jesus' name are empowered to become children of God. Moreover, John has explained that Jesus did not die for the nation only, but to gather all the children of God. All the children of God. It wasn't just about the the Jews. It wasn't just about the Israelites coming back to the Father, but it was for all people. It was for every person. Romans 8, 14 through 17 is made possible because of the work on the cross. And it says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is all only possible because of the work done on the cross. And see, this is what John is trying to to share with us, what John is trying to preach to us and, and reveal to us through the work on the cross. That's why there are so many family moments mentioned throughout his gospel. That's why this moment is significant, why the words that Jesus spoke in this moment are significant. We've already talked through these last couple of weeks about how difficult it would be for him to speak in the first place because his ability to breathe would have been restricted by the posture of hanging on the cross, plus the life that had been given so much through the beatings and through, through hanging and, and the torturing that he went through to the moment of, of hanging on the cross. And so we know that he's already struggling to breathe and yet he found it necessary to utter these words so that we see the entire family union coming into fruition and happening and taking place. We are able to be children of God because of the work done on the cross. We are able to become a part of the family. We are brought into the family. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ because of his suffering. That to me is sometimes just mind-blowing and awe-inspiring to go, how in the world is somebody like me able to become a part of a family like that? And yet we see it there at the foot of the cross when he's saying, 
You are now family. You are now family. And the fourth thing is this, the new family. The new family. John 19, 28 tells that Jesus knew that at the moment, all that he had set out to do by the cross had been done. He had created the new family. And what we find in the very next verse, he said, later knowing that everything had now been finished. Now, that's not the statement of it is finished. That comes a little later in the, in the chapter, yes. And it's, there's, there's a few other phrases that we'll get to before we get there. But, but he, in this moment, has the knowing that, that the family I had set out to create, the family, this new family that I was hoping to establish has been done. That was the significance in that moment. He said, this has to happen here for people to see the family now being united and brought together, this new family being created. It has to happen in this moment. And John is saying he, he knew that everything had been finished. In that moment, he knew what he was accomplishing and trying to do. So you remember, again, John has this whole theme of family woven throughout the entire book and understanding that as children of God, we are a part of this family. And he's saying it has been finished now because of the work done on the cross. And he's seeing that. He recognizes that. The formation of this new family at the cross provides a nucleus for the community of believers. John's readers can look at the beloved disciple as their eyewitness, their link with Jesus. We can identify with the beloved disciple in this scene. Our new status began at the cross. The new status of Jesus' followers is again signaled at the resurrection and the appearance that follows in John 20 and 17, Jesus said, he's speaking, speaking to Mary, he says, uh, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He's I mean, I still have to go to the Father. Go and said to my brothers, notice the change in language here. They didn't say go now to the disciples or go to my followers. He says, go to my brothers and tell them. And he did not mean his actual brothers, but he meant the disciples. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He's saying, Mary, go and tell them, my brothers. It's this whole, just this idea of this family, like this new family has been created. This is a whole new thing. It's no longer my father in heaven, but it is now our father in heaven. He's saying, my father and your father, my God and your God. This is now this new creation yet again, right? We, we hear so much that Jesus makes all things new, right? And even in this sense of family, he has created this new family that it took place on the cross. And at the cross is when our, our new life begins, right? And in that cross is when our, our new creation has begun. And he's saying, become a part of this new family. Become a part of this family. This is the big thing. It emphasizes that Jesus died for us rather than just the individual. It's more about community and family. Jesus did die for you and I individually, right? He took all of our sin individually upon himself at once. We understand that. I'm not taking away from the theme or the idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus, but what I'm adding to that is the fact that, that it's not just about us individually, but it's about all of us together, corporately and collectively. He died for all of us together. 
at one time, in one moment, not singling any person out or excluding any person. He's saying, no, I died for every person. I died for all people. I died for everyone. I think we're catching a theme after every single week that it's this idea, Jesus's words were not to, to be mixed up or confused. His words were not to ever exclude any one person or have anybody removed from the equation, but Jesus died for all people, that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be brought into this new family. Any person who calls on the name of Jesus can be brought into this new community. And he showed us that through his words, time and time and time again, he's saying, go tell them, I am going to go to my father and your father. I'm going to go to my God and your God. We are brothers and sisters with Christ, heirs and co-heirs with Christ, right? We are adopted sons and daughters of the King. We are now a part of this new family. That is what Jesus is showing when he brings his mother to Jesus. John and says, you go and take care of my mom. And we know that, that, that in fact it did happen. And she lived with him for about the next 15 years before she passed away. And that is great. He's, he was, yes, taking care of his mother, which is a good thing to do, but he's also showing us this new family that was created. We are family. We are a family. My friend, Dr. Terrence Espinosa, who I called, he said, Ryan, I, I think that uh, it would help if you were Hispanic. And I was like, why is that? And he goes, because I don't know that you quite get the idea of a familia. And I was like, man, I wish I was Hispanic, right? Like I wish I could. And he's saying, because he was like, man, in, in our Latin culture, family means everything. Family is everything. And I was like, man, I know. And I was like, and we have a tight knit family. And he's like, and I still don't think you get it. And I was like, man, I wish I did. You know, but he said, this is the idea that Jesus created a new family. He said he created this new family. He brought us together as one not excluding any one person, not excluding any entity or any country or, or nation or, or race or, or anything. No, we are brought together. It, we, God, God said, listen, I'm creating a new family. Anyone who calls on my name is brought into this family. I'll invite the worship team as we wrap up this morning. I think the great emphasis is this, that it, it is about us and not about me. Not about, not about just you. Yes, those are important factors and aspects of it all, but, but, but when, when you individually receive Christ, you become corporately a part of the family of believers. And one last, one last thought along these lines is that if we are a family, if we are a family, we need to learn to love one another as family. And I'd say this, in our church, we don't have issues with quarrels and, and, and people bickering and none of that. I know we don't have any of that here. Like, truly, we, we, this is great. You know what I mean? Like, we have our own little, like, utopia of church, right? It's like kind of our own little thing. But the reality is, as we grow, there's going to be people that may be different. And there may be people that have their own struggles and things that we have to deal with and confront and walk through. And that kind of stuff happens. We read about it all through. Paul front, confronts it constantly. He's, like, up against it always, right? But what we find is that we're a family. We're a family. And family cares for each other, right? Family helps lift each other up. Listen, we all have that crazy uncle, right? We're going to have one here. We'll have some guy like, no, oh, that's a crazy uncle, right? We still love him. We still love him nonetheless. But we're family. I love the moments when, when we have somebody in the church who... who who out of pure humility says, 
Pastor Ryan, I need help. I need help. And I can turn to them and say, we want to help you. Your family. Your family. That's a great moment for me to be able to say, as a family, we'll care for you. We'll help lift you up. We'll help pick you up. It's like Jesus at the end, his mother's there and he's going, she's a widow. She's not going to be able to take care of her home on her own. She's going to be able to do this on her own. And he turns to his best friend. He says, John, I need you to step up and take her. I need you to take her home with you. I need you to care for her. You know, we don't hear any response back from John, but what we see in the very next verse, in the next line is that from that moment forward, she went and stayed with him. From that moment forward. It wasn't a, let me think about it, I'll get back to you. It was just a, you got it. Yeah, you come to my house today. I take care of you. It's this idea of caring for one another. I love it. It's one of the coolest things about being a part of the the body of Christ and being a part of this family and this community is that that we can care for one another. We can love one another. We can help each other. We can build each other up. And we can can help walk through tragedy and trials and struggles together because we're a family. And all Jesus was doing in that moment was revealing that to us. Just revealing that to us. Like, hey, love one another as a family. As I've loved you, love one another. It's incredible. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Yes, God, there's been so many times when when we have had blessings in our lives, when when people have come along and helped us out, when there have been unexpected miracles or things of that nature in our life, when when jobs opened up, Lord, when when food was provided, Lord, when when bills were paid and things that, that you've done for us that we didn't even see coming and we didn't know it was happening. God, we thank you for those things. Those are great. Those are wonderful, and they are just, just continually reminding us of, of your faithfulness and continually reminding us of, of your goodness and your mercy for us. But God, oh, we thank you for your son and the salvation that he brought us, apart from which we have nothing, apart from which nothing else matters. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus. Lord, let us never take it for granted. Let us never treat it lightly. But let us speak of it with reverence, Lord. Let us speak of it with humility and the understanding that he gave so much more than just death on the cross for us. He endured pain. He carried the weight of every sin ever and every sin yet to be committed to the cross. So that through your name and through your blood, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there's salvation. And in that, we become children of God. And we become a part of the family of believers. We become a part of the family of those that follow Jesus. So God, this morning, I pray that my words are encouraging and uplifting, Lord, that they, 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 they bring about excitement to say, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted into this family. 
I am brought in. Lord, I am, I am grafted into this family. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. There's a cool thing in Romans when, when he says we're adopted. It, it comes from the same root word where they would get the word grafted, where you would take a branch from one tree and you would cut a notch into another tree and you would place that branch, you'd cut it to fit, and you would put it in there and then you would wrap it around so that that branch becomes a part of that trunk and becomes, it actually produces life out of that branch. It begins to grow off of that tree. It's the coolest thing in the world to think about it like this, that, that we're, we're, when we're adopted, yes, we're brought in, but it's as if we have grown out of that, that, that tree in the first place. We're grafted into, we are made apart. It's the coolest thing in the world to say we're a part of that family. We're a part of that family. Man, isn't God good? Man, I, I just, I love the Lord. I, I love the word of God. Um, I, I love that we serve a risen savior and that we get to celebrate all that he's done for us. And sometimes it's overwhelming. I find myself having to stop from time to time as we preach through this and I apologize. And I, I, I mean, I've kept it together, but there are moments where I get on the verge of tears as I start thinking about all that Jesus has done. And I go, I'm not worthy of this. I'm preaching this and I'm going, I'm not worthy of this. Who am I to be able to share? You know what I mean? That's just where I get. And I get in those moments where I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. You never say it enough. I don't know that I could ever mean it enough, right? I don't know that my words can fully express the thankfulness that I have. Man, it's good. It's good. Let me pray. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing in hearts and in lives, Lord, that we are seeing lives changed and people come to know Jesus and that great things are happening in this church by your grace, Lord. Great things are happening in this church by your spirit and what you're doing and what you're leading us into. So, Father, I pray that as we continue to be obedient, as we continue to follow after you, Lord, that you just pour out blessing on these people. I just pour out your blessing on this week. Let your hand be on them. God, I pray that we continue to walk with a boldness to share our faith, that we walk with a boldness to reach out to those around us, that we walk with a boldness to say, hey, I have something that you need. I have something that you need. And so, Lord, I pray this week that you go with us, that you walk with us, and you bring us back here together next week to continue to worship you as the body, Lord, as we honor you, as we glorify you. We give you glory, and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.